0: a hand praise for I didn't even tell you what it was for yet amen he's good anyway we don't need a reason right but I do have a reason I'm gonna thank him for the excellence by which our worship team and band Minister unto the Lord that we may enter into His presence Amen. to praise Him. This is hard work. This is a lot of practice and discipline, and I want to thank God for all of them. All of these Levites. Thank you. <laughs> thank you Amen. As you're turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter nine. Genesis chapter nine. For some of you who may be visiting, and you were here the last few weeks, and you may be wondering who I am. (laughs) I am Chris Williamson, and I'm honored to be the pastor of this church, and uh, thank God for elders who encourage me. Uh, I would say they make me, but they encourage me to take a rest annually. And so for three weeks, in the month of November, I was able to take a rest and stay home. Um, also, did some traveling, went up to Huntsville for a day, went to Virginia, and uh, did some reading, did some praying, some reflecting, watched some Sanford and Sun, and uh, man, just chilled. And so I'm grateful, thank God, for rest because there are many pastors who are leaving the pastorate every day because of the stress and the strain of the position to serve in this capacity. And so I'm grateful to get fueled up and uh, allow the Lord to minister to me body, uh, soul, and spirit. I missed you while I was gone, but my wife would come home every day and uh, fill me in. And even when we were on the road, Sister Janetta sent us pictures of Sister Alina standing in the gap preaching the word. And, uh, and then I would listen to the messages, Brother Randall's message and Rick White's message. uh, Just God is so good to minister to his people. And uh, before I get into the word today, I want us to be uh, praying for Charles and Susan Robinson. Um, They traveled to uh, North Dakota at Standing Rock to stand with their people in the midst of this oil pipeline crisis, which some are saying is a modern day Selma moment. And so they're going and standing in solidarity with their people of uh, the First Nations people. So we want to pray for them, pray for safety, but above all, pray that um, these indigenous people who are often overlooked, not only historically, but even in this hour, that um, through peaceful protests, in spite of uh, gassing and dogs and all of the treatment that has gone on against them, that... um, that the Lord will hear, that the Lord will intervene, that our president, in his final days, will do something to help in this situation. Again, we won't get into all of that right now. There is a time for that, but we do wanna be praying for them as they're going. So let's pray right now. We thank you that the Gospel begins in Luke 4, when Jesus said that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has come upon him to preach good news to the poor and to set at, cap, set at liberty the captives and to anoint those who had been oppressed, that Jesus came for the hurting and the broken and, and those in despair. And we thank you, Lord, that the same spirit who anointed your son also anoints us, whether we go to the Nashville Rescue Mission for Women and minister to them, whether members from this body are standing in Standing Rock with people who are often uh, overlooked and mistreated. Thank you, Jesus, for loving the underdog. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world. As the Apostle Paul said, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to set us free, not only spiritually and even eternally, but you came to set us free daily And to set us free free in all aspects of life. So thank you, Lord. And I pray now as we come to this word that you will set us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed and you told us when we know the truth, the truth shall set us free. So Holy Spirit, spirit of freedom, minister to us that you might minister through us. We don't want an exercise where we're just sitting and listening as if we were in a classroom. But Lord, we want to engage with you so that we can go out and engage in the world with this word. So thank you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love to read biographies. Biographies of famous people, some Christian, some not Christian. Um, I love a good story. I love stories that take me behind the scenes, if you will. Whether that's Abraham Lincoln reading one of his biographies or reading the biography about the temptations. I just love to hear about the things that are not commonplace and to find out what made these ordinary people extraordinary at various points in history. But not only do I enjoy reading biographies, I also enjoy watching documentaries. And if those documentaries are on PBS, or if they're even on the NFL network and they're telling you Beyond the Glory, the story of Walter Payton, or they're talking about uh, Mike Ditka, I love to watch those stories because so often we just see the success of a person But we don't see the strain, the struggle, and the sacrifice that allow them to make it to that place. And so when I see their stories, it gives me hope in the midst of my story that it's all common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. And if God could give these individuals strength to make a difference and a dent in the world in their space, then God can do the same with me and through me. And so during the break, uh, I read an autobiography on a great African-American evangelical named Tom Skinner. And before John Perkins came along, before Tony Evans came along, and so many other African-American leaders in the evangelical church, there was Tom Skinner, who was converted from being a gangbanger in Harlem, New York and how the Lord reached him, how he went and stood up and confronted the men that he hustled with and robbed people and beat other people up with, how he told them that Jesus had come into his life and changed him. And he was willing to even die to leave the gang than to stay in the gang and compromise his new Christian faith. But he walked out of that gang alive and made disciples of many of those gang members. And he went on to lead many, many crusades, not only in the United States, but around the world. A very bright, uh, charismatic man of God who I had the privilege of hearing preach back in 1993, the same year that he passed away to meet the Lord. And so I enjoyed that book, but I also had some time to watch TV One, and I watched Unsung. And I like watching Unsung because, again, it gives you the story of Heavy D and the boys. gives you the story, Unsung Hollywood. We'll talk about Red Fox, and I didn't even know that he was homeless for quite some time. Uh, you, you, you watch these stories, and you enter in, and you get to see the tragedies, the challenges, and the triumphs of these people. You learn about financial hardship. You learn about alcohol and drug abuse. You learn about their church upbringing and their spiritual roots. You learn about how they wrote various songs and made differences in the world, or certain screenplays that they wrote, all kinds of things in these documentaries. And as I looked at those documentaries, I said to myself, wouldn't it be great if we went behind the scenes and did some unsung stories of people that are in the Bible? Uh, Because so often when we read the Bible, we have on rose-colored glasses. And we only like to see you know, certain niceties of the people that God used in the scripture. But I know that the Bible is the word of God because of the fact that it not only records the triumphs of great people like Moses and Abigail and all of these great men and women in scripture, but it also records the flaws of these people. The pain, the setbacks, the hurts, the tragedies, the mistakes, sins of these people and the Bible says in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 that all of these things were written as an example for us so we can learn from not only their successes but we can also learn from their failures and from their defeats and above all we can see a God who is full of mercy and who is full of grace because he showers us with it in abundance every day so I want to begin today by looking at Noah, Noah. And that's why we're in Genesis chapter nine. But before we get to our main text today, let me just give you a few thumbnail items about the man Noah. First, I want you to see is that Noah's name means comfort. Comfort. Some would even say the Hebrew means rest. Comfort, so when he was born, his father Lamech named him Comfort because they were hoping that this boy would change the way things were because the ground had been cursed and so many of the people in that age, when we read, especially in the earlier portions of Genesis, they were agrarian people. They were farmers. They had to work the land in order to eat. They couldn't go to Kroger or Food Lion or whatever to get what they needed. They had to grow it and so many of them were farmers, but because of the sin of Adam, compounded by the sin of Cain, who had killed his brother, the ground had been cursed. And so when Noah was born, Lamech felt in his heart that this boy was gonna change everything concerning the ground, and so there would be comfort that would come as a result of this baby being born. Well, at the age of 500, Noah and his wife, had three sons, according to scripture, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And later we find out that these three sons would populate the entire world after the flood. Noah lived during a period of great wickedness in the earth. The Bible says that every inclination of the heart of man was evil. Violence was exceeding everywhere, and so Noah lived during this time. Noah, the Bible says, found grace with God. So in the midst of all of this evil, degradation, and debauchery, Noah was able to shine like a light in the midst of darkness. He found favor with God. Now the reason why he found favor with God, it was not because he was so good. No, he found favor with God as we all do because God is so good. So there was nothing necessarily different about Noah. Yes, he lived uprightly. Yes, he was what the Bible called a just man, but he did not earn favor with God. He was still a sinful man who had to receive favor from God. And the Bible lets us know in the book of Hebrews, we'll go there in a moment, that he was an heir of righteousness, meaning that because of faith, he was able to receive righteousness from God. That's how any of us are saved, whether we're in the old covenant or under the new covenant. We're saved by grace through faith in the Messiah who was to come or in the Messiah who already came and is coming again. And so God imputes or gives unto sinners his righteousness when we trust him by faith. And so Noah was right with God because he had faith in God. And God credited righteousness to Noah as he did to Abram, Abraham, and as he does to all of us. Noah found grace because God is a God of grace. And Noah was uh, called righteous. He's the first person to be called righteous in the Bible. And he's the second person in the Bible to have this characteristic uh, spoken of him. And that is he walked with God. The first person was Enoch who had that testimony that he walked with God and the second was Noah. So he's the first person to be called righteous and again his righteous actions came as a result of righteousness imputed to him which changed his nature that allowed him to live righteously. And that's the same thing that happens to us. Justification leads us to sanctification. So anything good in our lives, it does not begin with us. It is because of the grace of God that appears to us and even through us. And so Noah walked with God. Well, God told Noah to build an ark the size of three football fields in length and 30 yards high, 300 yards wide. He he told this man to build an ark. Now, no doubt they had boats during this time, but no one had ever seen a vessel quite like this one before. And the thing about this is that God told Noah to build an ark because he was going to send rain on the earth in order to destroy the inhabitants of the earth and start over, if you will. God was going to flush everything and begin anew. Now, the way he was going to do it was he was going to send rain down on the earth. Now, up until this time, it had never rained before on the face of the earth. Uh, Vegetation grew from underground springs, but also vegetation was still not far removed from its once perfect state under Adam and Eve. And so everything was illustrious and beautiful, and um, uh, it, it could carry on, and then as I mentioned, there were springs underground. No one had ever known of water coming from the sky before. And so Noah was told that water was going to come, flood waters were going to come from the heavens. And so he was told to build this ark. And the Bible says that Noah was called a preacher of righteousness in the New Testament. So not only was he an ark builder, which was part of his specific assignment, but he was also a preacher of righteousness and it is plausible that he preached before the ark was built, And during the building of the ark, which again was probably 100 years. So he's preaching, repent, because God is upset with the evil that is occurring in the world. Very much the way Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 when he said, repent and save yourselves from this wicked and depraved generation. The same way John the Baptist preached, repent. And so Noah preached, and he preached, he was a preacher of righteousness and he preached but sadly no one listened except for seven other souls and they were all family members who listened to him repent because as he preached he would say water is going to come down from the sky and destroy us all repent turn to god repent of your evil ways and had i lived during the time of noah I would have listened to him at first. I'd have given him a week. I may have given him a month. I may have given him a year because the sermon was the same every day. Repent, get your life right or else God is sending water from the sky to drown us all. And on the first day I might have been like, what? (laughs) That might be something to this now. But then the second day, repent, get your lives right. God's going to send water from the sky. And I might be like, what? Then the third day, repent, get your lives right. God is sending water from the sky. Noah, get on out of here with all that stuff, man. You've been preaching that for 40 years now, for 50 years. Noah, is it raining yet, bro? Come on, man. Had I lived there, I'd have been like the people. Now, the reason why I believe this story because some say this is just far-fetched. I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I can't believe this. People living that long and arcs and universal global floods. Ah, and in a minute animals coming to I don't know if I believe that stuff. Well, the reason why I believe it is because Jesus believed it. Yeah. And Jesus spoke about a historical figure named Noah. And he also said that as it was in the days of Noah, when people were eating, drinking, marrying, caring about business, not listening to the preacher of righteousness, the same will be true before he returns, where people will just be going about their business, not listening to the voice of God coming through earthen vessels. So I believe it's true, I believe it's true. But like I said, had I been there, I I, I probably wouldn't believe Noah, but I would have known that Something strange was going down in the hundredth year of this brother's preaching when the animals started coming from everywhere on their own volition, two by two to the ark. I wouldn't have paid him no mind. But once them lions and them bears and them tigers started coming and the birds started coming and everybody started, I was like, oh, wait a minute, now there must be something to this. And a lot of times we say, why didn't more people respond to the preacher of righteousness besides the seven souls in his family? Now, let me stop here and pause. You may say, man, seven souls from his own family, his three sons and their wives and his wife and him. Eight souls only were on that ark as far as humans were concerned. You say, man, that that doesn't seem like a lot. Well, we'll cover lot in a couple of weeks. And when Lot tried to talk to his family about judgment, they laughed at him. and was like, oh, no, no. So winning your family is the greatest act of missions that we can ever participate in. Because a lot of times people don't want to listen to us because they look at our lifestyle and say, you can keep that Jesus stuff. But if you can win your family, you're successful as a missionary, which we all are. And so he won his family. But again, why did they not join those animals and walk in that ark as humans who were out there doing their thing? Well... If you reject God over and over and over and over again, your heart develops a callousness because when your heart gets hard towards the word of God, then your eyes will not even be able to interpret properly things that are as clear as the nose is on your face. And so today... We have a lot of animals marching to the ark, but because people's hearts are hard, they can't see what's going on in Israel. That causes us to say, when things there start to blow up, you better start looking up because Jesus is coming back. They can't see the fact that the love of many is waxing cold before the return of Jesus. They can't see that because their hearts are hard towards the word of God. They can't see that there is pestilence and earthquakes and famines all over the world at a degree that we've never seen before and people are still going about. But we're gonna keep on preaching and and believing that God is gonna reach people to get them into his ark of safety before he returns. So Noah had a job to do and the Bible says he did it. And when the ark was completed, God brought those animals to the ark and the Bible says he shut them in. Now the ark rested there for seven days. Seven days before rain came down. So I know people on the outside started ridiculing the ones on the inside. Say, where's the rain, bruh? Okay, the animals, you impressed me with that one. But where is the rain? Seven days. Now, and I bet the people on the inside were looking at Noah like, uh, bruh, Ain't no ventilation up in here, no air conditioning. Got this elephant smell up in here. We shut in. Where's the rain? What's going to see God sometime? Just because he delays doesn't mean he's not coming. And the delay is to test your heart to see are you going to hold on to his promises or not? Or are you going to jump the gun like King Saul and offer the sacrifice on your own and be disobedient? No, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because on the seventh day, that rain started coming down. And Noah was 600 years old when the rains came down. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, killing all humans and all animals that were not on board that ark. The water remained on the earth for 150 days, covering the highest of mountains. Well, the water eventually receded and the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. Now, when God made this ark, he didn't make it with a steering wheel in it. The ark was built for flotation and not navigation. The ark was built really the way we are. God didn't build us with a steering wheel. He's the one that's going to navigate our lives and lead us where he wants us to go. Just as he led that ark where he wanted it to go. But a lot of us, though, we try to run our lives as if it does have a steering wheel. And if we're in control, but God is like, I got this just like I got the ark. Trust me. And when Noah and the animals exited the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord. God blessed Noah and all three of his sons. I'll come back to that next week. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all of them were blessed and they were told to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And God made a covenant with Noah and his sons to never destroy the earth again with water. But James Baldwin in a book called Fire Next Time must have read the New Testament because Peter picks up on this story and no, God won't destroy the earth with water again. He'll keep his word, but he will create a new heavens and a new earth and before he does that, he will destroy this earth not by water, but by what? Fire. So there will be justice from the God of justice and he has every right. This is his creation to discipline it as he sees fit. And so the Lord in his grace made a covenant with them and he put a rainbow in the sky. And every time they would see that rainbow, it would be a reminder of God's grace that he saved mankind and that he would keep his word to not destroy man again by water. And Noah went on to live another 350 years dying at the age of 950 years old. John Maxwell, a great guru on leadership, said in his book, Running with Giants, as it pertains to Noah, here's what he said. Whenever you see a rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. The best ability is always availability. Noah made himself available and God did the rest through him. And that's all we need to do. Lord, have your way. Because if you can use one man really to save humankind and animal kind or the animal kingdom, how much more can you use us when we say have your way? And again, let it start in my home, Lord. Let it start in my home. He can do great things with one person who's yielded to him. Well, the purpose of the flood was to flush everything and start over with the righteous man who walked with God. Ah, oh, so this is a great unsung. Oh, boy. This, and, 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 man, we could just shut the book right there. And they lived happily ever after. But that's not how the story ends. I know that's something else. But, no, man, that's not how the story ends. There's more to the story because this righteous man still carried within him the gene of sin. As good as he was, as great as he was, as disciplined as he was, as obedient as he was, he was just like everybody who had been born from Adam and that is he was born fallen. He was born in a degenerative state spiritually. And the Bible says that every inclination of the heart of man was evil constantly and that included Noah, the preacher, of righteousness, he was still a fallen human being. And so look with me at Genesis chapter nine, verse 18. As we get a part of the story we don't normally get. When it's time to decorate the nursery for our children, We're looking for wallpaper that has a man in a raincoat with a little boat and a giraffe and two sticking out of an ark. Oh, it's so beautiful. These wonderful, cute little Bible stories. But there's more to the story. Verse 18, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer. Stop right there. The preacher of righteousness, who spent 100 years building an art and staying within that art almost a year, he had to find a new job, and perhaps he took up farming because his father was a farmer and they had put this prophecy and promise on his life that the land would change because of him. So he becomes a farmer. But the point is he's trying to reinvent himself as a male, as a man, because there's a severe career change for him now. And for a lot of us as men, our identity unfortunately is primarily found in what we do. And again, that has its place. God created us to work. But our identity, first and foremost, should come from our relationship with God. And Noah knows that. But I'm going to suggest to you in a minute that he's kind of drifted away from God. Now think about this. Eight people come out of that ark, and they have the responsibility of repopulating the earth. He can't go down to the corner store like he used to before the flood came. He can't go watch the football game with his unsafe friends like he used to do. It's just all eight of them. And it's him and Mrs. Noah, his sons and their wives. Later on, these kids are going to have kids. But man, what a daunting task. What a lonely place to be in. And now i got to reinvent myself because the days of art building are over. Preaching. My family already saved, so I can't find my identity in preaching. What am I going to do? Man, I'm going to become a farmer. It's not a bad thing. And the Bible says, and he planted a vineyard. Now, we know there are many things he could have planted. And there's nothing inherently evil with planting a vineyard. We know he could have planted some some beans, some greens, some potatoes. He could have planted tomatoes. There's a lot he could have planted. But he planted a vineyard. Now, we get it out of a vineyard, grapes. I love when my wife allows me to go grocery shopping to pick the fruit out, because I used to work in a grocery store in the fruit department when I was in college. So I know about what happens with fruit when it comes off the truck. And I know the tricks that grocery stores play when they put the stale fruit in the front and the good fruit in the back just like they do with the bread, because they want you to grab the stale stuff and leave the fresher stuff in the back. So I always go to the back to get my stuff. Somebody said, thank you, pastor. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> and I like my grapes to crunch when I eat them. You know, I don't like when they are soggy, you know? But grapes, you know, they can transform into raisins and you leave them around long enough and that'll help your digestive system. But they can also, if you leave them around, they can ferment and turn into alcohol, Why? Now, there's nothing inherently evil with wine, but there is something inherently evil with using wine to get drunk. Oh, boy. I don't know if y'all ready for this next verse. (laughs) Then Noah, the righteous man, the perfect man, the upright man, the preacher of righteousness. Oh, the man by faith who lived by faith. This brother drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered. In his tent. Hmm. He drank of the wine, became drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. So he not only got drunk, he got sloppy drunk because he came up out of his clothes because the alcohol heated up his body temperature. And he got so drunk that he passed out because later in the narrative it says he awakened from his wine. What would make a righteous man of God plant a vineyard and go and get drunk off of the wine? This is unsung. (laughs) We're going behind the scenes to try to figure this out. Why did he plant that vineyard? Well, we don't know for sure why he did that. We can only speculate with sanctified minds that are consistent with sound hermeneutics or Bible interpretation. But I believe Noah planted that vineyard for the same reason that Cain wanted to be alone with his brother Abel in the field. I believe he planted that vineyard for the same reason that Lot said, I wanna live in the plain facing Sodom. I believe he planted that vineyard for the same reason when David couldn't sleep one night. He got up and walked around the roof of his house. I believe he planted that vineyard for the same reason. When I go to the grocery store, and today my daughter is celebrating her 13th birthday with friends, and there'll be cake and ice cream and all this stuff, and sometimes when I'm in the grocery store, not only getting fruit, I'll get the dessert. But when I get the dessert, mainly the vanilla ice cream, I say that I'm getting this for the family. <laughs> but in my heart, I'm getting this for me, and I'm going to eat more of it than anybody, and I'm going to eat it when I shouldn't eat it. I'm going to eat it at night. Now, all of that is going through my mind when I'm walking through the frozen section at Kroger because I have trouble with ice cream. And when Noah planted that vineyard, I want to suggest to you that it was the motives of his heart that was evil and bent on evil, that his heart was saying to him, look man, go ahead and get drunk because we're most vulnerable after a victory anyway. What was the victory, man? He, he obeyed God for over a 100 years. What an assignment. Great ridicule, people putting him down, laughing at him. And he felt like he deserved this. He had seen it done before, before the earth had been flushed. He knew what alcohol could do. And a man who had great discipline to build an ark and wait on God to send water from the sky that had never happened, you can't tell me he lacked the discipline to not get drunk when he drank. No, he knew what he was doing when he laid those initial seeds. He knew. And the reason why he wanted that alcohol, Strong Tower, listen, is because he and God were not as close as they once were. And rather than God filling his life with himself and with his love and with his grace, with his purpose and his power and his presence, Noah does like what a lot of us do. We drift from intimacy with God and being intentional to spend time with God, and our flesh will naturally take over, and we will find ourselves going towards things, trying to find fulfillment when God is the only one who can fulfill those places legitimately in our lives. Pastor, why do you say he drifted? Well, when he first got out of the ark, he's building an altar. I mean, before he got into the ark, he's called an upright man. Do you think he would get sloppy drunk before the rains came? Do you think he would have gotten drunk while they were building the ark for 100 years? No, he let his guard down because he drifted away from his God. And when we drift away from God, anything is possible. He's not building altars anymore. He's not seeking God anymore. He's been lulled into compromise and his evil heart got the best of him and when he planted those seeds he had to wait for those seeds to come up and while waiting for those seeds to come up that was the time for God to speak to his heart and challenge the unclean impure motives of his heart but just like we do when God starts talking to us about, now, brother, you know you don't need that ice cream. I shut God down, and I don't want to hear that. Or for some of us, now, you know you don't need another dress. You got enough dresses. Why are you going back to the mall again? You, you shut him down. <laughs> or let's keep on making it a little bit more real. You do know that when you wear that, what it does to the people in your office, don't you, when you wear that? So you know the motive of your heart when you put that on is to cause this kind of response with the men and women in your office. But we don't want God to get into those places of our heart. No, no, it's like having a a dresser of drawers. We'll let him get on the top drawer. We'll let him into the second drawer. But that bottom drawer, that's mine. I can't let you speak to that drawer because that's my secret stuff. So when you're talking, I ain't listening on that stuff. Because God in mercy said, now, you know you're planting this stuff so that you can get drunk. Now, drinking it, okay, that's not a problem for some people. It is a problem for some. And if you know alcohol is a problem for you, don't you dare and don't. Because here's what some of us do. Okay, now, I, I know I shouldn't be drinking, you know. But, I, but I'm going to get a six-pack because I know that I'm free in Christ. Oh, I'm just going to drink one. But your heart was saying from the beginning, when you get this six-pack, you're going to drink all of them. And that's why we got to be honest with ourselves. Because our hearts are deceitful and they're desperately wicked. And the only one that can challenge those impure thoughts in our hearts is the voice of God, which comes through the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, talks about how the word is like a two edged sword and it'll cut down dividing soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which is evil. I don't even know how evil my heart is until God starts showing me how evil it is through the light of his word. And let me just say this to you on your best days, you're a mess. In your best moments, you're a mess. There's no such thing as a pure motive for you or for me. Because everything about us is flawed and broken. It's only by grace that God purifies impure motives and impure people. It's only through the word of God that he deals with us about our mo- Why are you being all nice to your wife on Wednesday night all of a sudden? You all in the kitchen trying to help out The motive of your heart ain't really to help her. And if she's been married to you long enough, she know what the motive of your heart is and why you in the kitchen and trying to help the kids with the homework. It's Wednesday night. So God is saying to us today, there's some things we can walk out of here with. As God used Noah, he can use any of us to make a difference. As with Noah, remember that anyone can fall into any sin at any time with anything and anyone. (laughs) And let a person who thinks they're standing take heed lest they fall. You see, a lot of times we become judges of people because they sin differently than we do. I'd never do that. But what about the gossip and the slander and the backbiting and the things you do? Be honest about the motive of your heart. Are you really going to ESPN to see the scores and the highlights? Or are you going on ESPN so you can click on something, and click, click on something, and click on something, and it take you away? Be honest for why you're going to that movie. Be honest for why you're reading that book or why you have those friends or why you're going to that person's house to visit them. Be honest with yourself. Because if you can't be honest with yourself about yourself, then those of us who try to encourage you are wasting our time trying to encourage you if you're not even going to be honest with yourself about your stuff. We all got stuff. Cheer up. We all got stuff. But that's what makes grace so amazing is because grace superabounds over our sinful stuff. And it's grace that motivates us to want to live differently because God's been merciful to us about our stuff. He hasn't either destroyed us or exposed us. But see, when you read the Bible, I'm sure Noah would have been like, now, Lord, do you got to put that part in there? Like, Lord, do do we have a choice? You got to put this part in there? Yeah, I got to put that part because it was written for other folks who's going to come behind you to learn from your mistake." And the beautiful thing about grace, Hebrews chapter 11, as I close. We don't remember Noah for being a sloppy drunk. That's only because of grace. We remember Noah for being the art builder, for being the great man of God, for being the leader. Not for what happened in chapter 9 where he planted the vineyard from impure motives to get drunk because he was not satisfied with God the way he had once been. Listen, we all sin willfully when we're not satisfied with God. We go looking in other places and in other people to find what only God can give to us. That's the deception of sin. We keep going to things to try to fill that place that only God can fill. That's why we're content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When we're walking with God, we're content. But when we're not walking with God and we're walking in the flesh, we try to fill those barren places in our lives with worldliness. For Noah, his thing was alcohol. What's your thing? And I bet if he had it all over to do again, he wouldn't have done that. How many times do we say that? Oh. Man, I wish I hadn't done that again. What's going on is that you and the Lord are off. He didn't leave you, you left him, so to speak. And if it can happen to Noah, it happens to us. But that's why grace is so amazing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. What's that? Rain from the sky moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews 11 is called the great hall of faith. And it's full of men and women who did great exploits in the name of Yahweh. In the next several weeks, we're gonna look at a lot of those people because here's the deal, of all the people that are mentioned in the great hall of faith written to encourage us, that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people like Abraham and Sarah and Gideon and Noah, all of these great people, David and Isaac and rebecca all these great people in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, the only reason they're in there is because the hall of faith is first and foremost a hall of grace. Don't none of them deserve to be in there? The only reason God let murderers and drunkards and liars and adulterers in there is because he's rich in mercy. And he sees his righteousness uh, dispensed to us and not our brokenness. He covers us and he receives us as his children, and we're in this place of the hall of faith only because of grace. We talk about Noah building an ark because of grace and not about his drunkenness because where sin abounds, grace superabounds. At his funeral, he was remembered for his obedience and not his disobedience. That's how good God is. You know, when David had sinned, He said, oh Lord, don't let me fall into the hands of men. I'd rather you discipline me. Don't send me to men. Because men forget something. Men forget that they are recipients of grace, so they should be dispensers of grace. God is merciful to all of us. So how in the world could we not have mercy towards other people? Because he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. But we cast stones as if we don't have sin. And we judge people, we put them down, we talk about them, all of their weaknesses and all of their flaws, which may be more public than ours. That's why David said, I'd rather fall in your hands, God, because even when you discipline me and spank me, you're doing it in love. Pete Rose is arguably one of the greatest baseball players to ever play. Started playing in 1963, retired in 1989 after doing a stint as a coach and a player, 84 rather, uh, doing a stint as a coach and a player. And this man has more hits than anyone else in Major League Baseball. He has more singles than anyone. He has a 300 career average. He uh, has multiple gold gloves, has been to 17 All-Star games. It's called Charlie Hustle, played for the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, he was the man. But there's a reason why Charlie Hustle is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it's because it was discovered that during his managerial career, he had cheated and bet on baseball. As he coached the Reds, he was betting for other teams to beat his team. And when it was discovered that he was betting on baseball, it was as if he committed the unpardonable sin. Because as they presented Pete with all the information saying, we caught you, for years he denied having bet on baseball. And he even had agreed, for some reason, to accept a lifetime ban from baseball. But somewhere around 2003, Pete Rose came to a senses and admitted, yes, I bet on baseball. I messed up. And you would think that at that point, the commissioner and all of the heads of baseball would have said, because you repented, we're going to give grace to you and let you into the hall of fame. But man said, no, we're going to honor our lifetime ban. We don't care that you confess that you bet. We remember how ornery you was when you lied and said that you didn't. We're not letting you in to the Hall of Fame in spite of all of your accolades. Three World Series rings and all of that. We're not letting you in, but I'm so glad that God is not like man. Because he lets me in in spite of my lying and my hypocrisy, my debauchery, my drunkenness, my carnality. He lets me in because of this thing called grace. So I'm in the hall of faith with Abraham, who was a liar, and Abraham, who later was not only a bigamist, but a polygamist. You didn't know about that, did you? Oh, keep on coming to this series, and we're going to see how these great people God used were broken, busted, and disgusted people who needed the grace and mercy of God just like we needed every day. So amen, amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. And let's go get our children. I believe Sister Mona is going to close us in prayer. Amen, amen. Next week, we're going to get back into Noah a little bit more. Because we're going to see what the alcohol did to his family. All right, Mona.